Right, here we go at the Ground Zero Life Without Limits podcast, and today's guest is... Now, this guy I've been following for a long, long time. Never thought he'd follow me back, but he did, and he comments some good comments on my stuff, and I really like what he does. Will Usher is not only an amazing triathlete himself, but also he runs his own triathlon business coaching people. And he also has done, over the years, a few A-list celebrities too, which he's kind of playing down. We just having a chat there before we started. But amazing guy. So here's Will. How's it going, man? Yeah, very good. Thanks for having me uh, on your podcast. Yeah, that's cool, dude. So look, just tell the people a little bit about yourself, a few stats and what you do generally, like day-to-day at the minute. Yeah, at the minute, I mean, where we're now, um, well, where we are now is, is different to where we were five weeks ago. But um, yeah, we, we run a, um, an age group, um, hesitate to use the term performance age group team because like, that can uh, sort of dredge up ideas of, of, of grandeur. Um, and I think there's a bit too much of that going around in the tri industry at the minute. Um, but we uh, a focused age group team. Let's put it that way. I well, think, what do you mean by age group team? What does that actually mean? So, so that means like well, we do we do have a professional division with Jenkins, uh, Mark and Helen Jenkins, um, but uh, that's very small. For the vast majority, um, people are age groups. So they're like masters athletes. Um, so they're not in any of the elite junior programs or anything like that, uh, and they sit within the four band uh, four year age groups going um, well from. 16 all the way up to death basically <laughs> so um, actually i raced um i raced in uh china a few years ago back in, in beijing and there's these two american blokes um who are racing the 85 to 89 category um and it's limpid distance try so it's still pretty like decent distance and um these two blokes chased each other around for like the last 20 years trying to race each other and one bloke always beat the other by 15 minutes didn't matter what he did and uh, his speech when he got up on the podium in second place was, yeah, I'm just waiting for this guy to die, really, and then I'll get the top spot. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit harsh, but uh, they're great mates. But, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so we, do, we have an age group team. Um, it is focused on, on performance. Probably 80% of the team are top one, top 5% of the world. Um, so it's a good team, and, and we actually were the UK and Amir uh, number one Ironman team last year. And... Presumably this year as well, because there's no racing, right? So brilliant, two for the price of one. Um, but uh, yeah, so we we have um, about six coaches on the books and six specialists. Um, of the twelve, we've got um, six have the Olympics in their CV, and so we have what we tried to do was build a, a quite a holistic approach to coaching. Um, like loads of um, athletes will come to us, and they'll, they'll have a strength and conditioning coach, they'll have a nutritionist, they'll have a favorite physio it's great but in the private sector nobody talks to each other all right so what you can um, but the, the struggle is is to try and combine everyone together to get the ideal best out of this athlete or individuals because yeah. you don't just do like the best of the best you also do your average joe and stuff like that people do normally uh, do reach out to you yeah. don't they we, we have the full range and like um the, the difficulty is we well we, well, we looked at looked at different sort of pro sports and we actually thought Professional cycling is about as close as it gets to the best setup that you want. So there's all the services and all the expertise behind the rider, all talk to each other, all in communication. And like, you don't have to use uh, our physio. Like some, we have, we, tra- we coach in eight different countries. So, you know, it's difficult to get to Batsy Park, for example, uh, for your, your weekly physio, if you're in Hong Kong. Um, <laughs> but, 
um, you know, it's um, the it's ideal if you can, because um, then we we all sing the same song, uh, hymn sheet, right? So it just makes it better for everyone. Um, but do you try but, a connection where sort of like there's a chain where everyone's working with under one roof, so you get a better performance out of the athletes? Is that what you're trying to say? Really, I mean, like for for example, like if you um, let's say you're out um, running in the fells or whatever, and you and you sprained your ankle, and you needed some physio work with that. Now, there's two things that happen. One is you only do your exercise for two weeks of the six weeks that you should do um, because um, exercise, physio exercises are generally boring, they're pretty uncomfortable, uh, and they take up time. Um, and so you tend to stop doing it when it stops hurting, and then you get re-injured. So what happens is, firstly, is your exercises get put into your program. But on the second side is like, I'll have a chat with Dr. John Allen, uh, with permissions, of course, um, and we'll co-coach effectively so we'll consult on on you and your condition the sprained ankle and we'll talk about how that best to, can be applied into your training so there's no guesswork there's no chinese whispers there's no having to strike up another relationship with another physio um it's just easier for everyone you know how long you, you to make this chain mate i mean what what really got you into triathlon in the first place i mean what was it was, was it something you did later on in life or what no well ish um i'm getting later on in life as, as we go but um like uh it was at uni actually if my first year at uni um one of my sort of main swimming rivals from wiltshire uh, was a bloke, a bloke called phil juma um it was a great swimmer and it nearly always beat me it was very annoying um but um then we went to uni i had no idea we were going to the same uni and we turn up on day one and i like, what the hell are you doing here i thought i'd, I'd move to the midlands to get rid of you um and um Anyway, we were good mates, and he was like, yeah, yeah, I fancy um, Booth, uh, the British University's um, uh, triathlon at the end of the year. I'm like, yeah, all right, game on, because I knew I could run. I also ran growing up, and I knew he didn't, critically. Um, so I was like, yeah, all right, I've got to have you. Um, and it was basically Phil that got me into it, and then he just, he did his first one and didn't like it so much, And but I loved it, and, and the rest was history sort of thing. I threw myself into it. Um, what was the distance of your first one? Um, first one was sprint. Yeah, Southern, Southern Sprint Trial at Nottingham uh, in a pool swim, yeah. 400 meter swim, 20k bike with 18, in fact, 18k bike and a 5k run. Um, and I didn't know much about triathlon at that point. Um, this was late 90s. And um, yeah, <laughs> it's seeded as only a pool triathlon can be on your swim speed. There's no other way of seeding it sensibly. Unfortunately, I was still a swimmer at that point and a swimmer's like cruisy time generally will put them in top top end like the last heap effectively and so I was and I was like yeah all right and cruised out like a 440 or whatever it was which was pretty chilled at that point for me and um I was going yeah this is great look I'm on the, the front of the field uh, and I was proceeding <laughs> as everyone passed me and I was basically the last person on the course um <laughs> just like this is rubbish uh so i learned from that and entered slower swim times after that because um the bike was my uh, was my weakness you know but uh, yeah that was, that was good but um i yeah, was not on the bike either the bike was always my weakness i just i don't know why i just never had particular good like leg strength for bike and yeah. i would always have a habit the longer I, I always was quite susceptible to cramping and that would really like that transition off running no problem swimming was fine because i had a swimming background but that in yeah. between on that bike was brutal for me 
Yeah, well, the thing is, I've, I've grown to, I've worked the bike hard over the last like 20 odd years. Um, and and it's, it's, I think because I grew up as a swimmer, it's hard to get back in the water because I used to swim, you know, 50, 60,000 meters a week, two days, uh, twice every day, uh, or one rest day. And I'm never going to do that again. And I'm also not 17, right? <laughs> so, um, I, I've, one, I've got no interest and I probably haven't got the, the capability of doing that anymore. Um, and what for? Because I can, you know, with four swim sessions in a week, you can swim at the top of the field and that's all you need to do. To swim a minute faster takes another three sessions, you know, and it's just, it's a waste of time relative to the end goal of having a faster overall triathlon. So you put those three extra hours into the bike or into the run or whatever. Um, but for that minute, it becomes not worthwhile unless you're doing sprint and standard distance, which the, you know, the sharper end of the age group field is getting pretty, pretty aggressive nowadays, you know? Um, yeah. But how do you, how do you actually structure your personal training? So like back then you was a bit of a novice, you just did it because one of your mates was doing it. And like you say, the rest was history. But I mean, yeah. just like jumping forward a minute and then we'll come back again. Yeah. What is your general training week like now? Do you still think to yourself, right, do you have certain races that you like to do every year at certain distances or do you try and do an Ironman every year or what, you know, um, what are you doing nowadays? I like, I like 70.3s nowadays. Um, I find them the most sociable distance. Like, um, you know, there's a good performance element um, where you can really push yourself, but also they're long enough that if you don't train for it, they'll kick your ass. Uh, but at the same time, a three-hour coffee ride is, is an, a, an appropriate session if you're not feeling it, right? Um, and so it, hand, it holds that sort of social element together. Sprint and standard now, I've never trained harder when I was training for sprint um, because like so many sessions are so hard and they deplete you immensely. I'm a pain in the ass to live with, frankly, if you know, I'm doing sprint distance training. But like, and Ironman, though, again, the same. It's all well and good, but when you've got family, it's, um, or even if you haven't got family, if, you know, if you in want any hope of having a, a, a partner and having that sort of stick together, um, you know, it's a long time. You're talking about massive bikes. Mm. <coughs> it's quite consuming, isn't it, mate? A friend of mine's doing it. He's in the Royal Marines at the minute. And he, we used to do a lot of CrossFit together when he was home, trail running, stuff like that. And now he's up in Scotland based and some of the right, he said the hardest part is the rides for him because the pool easy, it's on camp, he can go and do it, the runs, he's got everything there. But he knows for experience, he doesn't need mass volumes in those areas as such, but the rides going out is, is the biggest killer for him, he said. Well, so, I mean, we use the bike um, as the cardiovascular engine for the whole triathlon, right? It's the only discipline that you, can, you could perceivably go and do a 10 hour ride right just let's say uh, and give you a cardiovascular engine that is is you you, you base your engine used to working for that amount of time now we don't suggest going out on 10 hour rides but if we go scale down to 70.3s a lot of the 70.3 athletes will find themselves on a four or five hour ride because we're trying to get the endurance engine working and comfortable with being up and running for five hours you know and, and giving it some gas um so it is super useful, but the one thing I would say, and maybe it's because I'm an ex-swimmer and we're used to just staying at a, um, a black line, uh, you know, and we're very stats orientated. So I would do a 3,800 meter time trial, an Ironman swim time trial in the pool, and I'll know every 50 meter what my splits are from looking at the wall clock on the turn. 
and I'll know what the next 50 should be because I'm doing the, the maths whilst I swim, which is, is dull, but it's my way of like dealing with it because there is no way on earth I could do that shit right there. <laughs> that would just, it would never happen. Never well, happen. You know, like, I, I, the funny thing is, as soon as we use the wall clock and you'll spot a triathlete a mile off because they'll have a big old watch on in the pool. Um, and like, you know, as soon as I, I just did a, I know what time I did, I know what time I'll do on the next one. Um, because it's just years and years and up and down, but because of maybe that mentality and, and row is a little bit the same, I guess, but, um, I don't mind doing a five hours lift, you know, it just doesn't bother me. Um, uh, and that's really you useful. Break the week but, up, do you have like Sundays off Sundays every week, for example, is family or something like that. Or yeah, a Saturday. Yeah, yeah, totally. yeah, yeah. We, we have Sundays. Um, but when I'm, when I'm training sort of properly, if you like, I, to a goal, um, one of the coaches within the group will coach me. Um, and we have, we have a sort of policy, uh, not a policy, I don't know, it seems a bit formal, but um, an idea, I, suspect, I suppose, that no one person is an expert. And what we like to do is sort of share the knowledge within, within the team because there's the different experiences that guys that we've got coaching and, and the uh, other experts within the coaching group is like extraordinary. Um, so we make sure you. it kind of makes you accountable doesn't it so that way you just don't think oh I'm Will Usher I do what I want I know how to train I'm not answering to no one that way if you've got to answer to somebody else you're always up in your game regardless yeah, so, of how old and, you're getting or whatever do you know what I mean yeah, so, so for me you know he's recognising your own weaknesses right and I mean everyone's the same to some extent you will always gravitate towards the sessions you want to do right the things you enjoy doing um, and like, I, I use it when I'm sort of signing on an athlete, I'll often say something along the lines of, you know, one of the key things is having that constant um, communication where if they, they don't like messages and say, look, work's exploded today. I've only got time for one session of the two. Which one should I do? They, they know which one they should be doing. It's the <laughs> one they don't want to do, right? Um, but, but that's what a coach is there. We give that accountability. And, and for me, it's the same thing. Um, I find it easier, or I have done over the years, to go and do a quick, like indoor Zwift or bike or RGT or whatever, um, then I do almost any other thing. And for me, getting back into swimming, um, Reese Jones is one of our coaches. He, we actually have a scarily similar background. We're both ex-sprinters, 50, fly, uh, 50 sprinters in the pool. And um, we followed a very similar pathway. And so we understand each other very well. And he understands that it's difficult to get back in the pool um and so there's like some of the stuff you do you, instead of doing it on rate of perceived exertion to start with you do it on uh, so doing it on a targeted time you do it on rate of perceived exertion so you just don't look at the clock because as an ex-sports person coming back to one of the individual sports it's, it's awful <laughs> basically um but i didn't really yeah. swim for a couple of years after 2017 um just various bits and pieces i hadn't run properly for poor years i had a, a, had a um, motorbike crash or scooter crash motorbike is a bit grand um but uh i was actually lucky i was on a scooter because i probably lost my leg to be fair um and i basically got t-boned by a car um but it flipped me Boom, we're back on. Let's carry on as we was. Motorbike, <laughs> the motorbike accident on the scooter, you were T-boned on that. That was where we was. Okay, yeah, yeah. So um, so all, all that, basically, I, as I sort of somersaulted forward, 
landed on my pelvis and I shunted it forward um, pretty much permanently, really. Uh, and the result is I get very poor hip extension and I have to keep working on that. If you have poor hip extension, it's the number one musculoskeletal screening point that will result in a pathology. Um, and those pathologies being uh, car, torn calf, slash hamstring, tight hamstring, lower back pain. Um, Did you actually I've, break anything? Was you in hospital for quite a while when this happened? Or? No, no, it's all sort of soft tissue, but it's just the shift. It Because of the way I landed, I basically just la went, I'd say about 10 foot in the end, and then just landed flat on my back. I just shunted um, my pelvis forward, and it's never really recovered from that. And the trouble is, of course, what we do in, in triathlon, uh, in particular Ironman, exacerbates it right so you know what you're talking about is being able to move your your hip back from 90 uh backwards and that's what gives you a propulsion forwards now that angle as modern modern humans in the western world in particular we spend a lot of time in chairs um so you're already changing that angle then you go and do an ironman sort of training and you spend five hours in a time <laughs> position, which is the worst possible position imaginable. Ooh. And then you expect your body to go and run a marathon. Um, you know, so, but anyway, so that resulted in 25 and 27 pairs respectively in my uh, left and right calves. Um, and eventually John Allen, Dr. John Allen got on top of it. Um, and I'm back running now for the first time in like a long time um, and, and enjoying it, you know. Um, I can look at a small drag of a 3% and think, yeah, I might be able to run up it. You know, who knows? Um, but uh, whereas I just wouldn't even you know, anticipate it. Like I set my running goal for this year at like 800K, which is 66, 67K a, a month, right? And that, we're also, yeah, uh, it works out 17K a week, which last year or the year before would have been an enormous amount. Um, but what through experience and just muscle memory and just so many years of racing and training, you can hold a decent level of running within that that space. Is that what you're trying to say? Here? Yeah, it is. But I've also I've I've finally started doing as I'm told, basically being accountable and doing all the exercises and doing all the strength on top, and then but also the type of running that I've been doing. And there comes a point with an injury where if you just avoid the exercise all that happens is you become weaker um, and you need the capillarization um, uh, with the muscles to, um, to, to help you strengthen them, right? And to, to give them that, that muscle um, fatigue and memory and, and even walking, walking is like super useful. Um, you know, it looks like, I think I, I just uh, got some emails and nearly blocked the That's right. Mine's doing the same. But the thing is, the basic <laughs> of it is though, is, having the time to fit all that in when you do triathlon, plain and simple. Like my friend, his strength is horrendous, but his endurance is amazing. But he just hasn't got the time to be doing anything but swimming, running, and cycling. A bit like my yeah. other friend, she does triathlons and all she does, and she knows she should do strength training, but yeah. she can't because she just doesn't have the time of work and the rest of it. So she has to do go on the basics. But what I really yeah. want to know is, going back in time, right? Mm -hmm. So we go back to uni, and you had the bug, and then how did it go from there? I mean, obviously, you didn't go to uni to become a triathlon coach, did you? So I'll hear a bit more about that, really. Yeah, so I, I was already an army bursar at that point, um, which basically meant I was going to Sandhurst um, post-university. Uh, post um, triathlon was, uh, it was a lifestyle that I enjoyed, uh, and that's really where, where it stopped, if you like. 
Um, and yeah, post-university, I went to Sandhurst and then I joined the Royal Military Police and then specialised within the Military Police in close protection. Um, I, I continued a bit of try, but, and this is one of the things I would say to people is always take opportunities because you never know what's going to happen next year or next season or whatever. You know, I, you, you hear a lot, in, particularly in the sporting industry, where people go, oh yeah, you know, you know I'm gonna, just going to do this simply this, this year. I'm going to... I'm not going to go here this year because I'm going to go there and do it better next year. It's like, well, you never know what's going to happen, right? Particularly doing this as a lifestyle sport as opposed to an elite athlete, yeah? And for me, what that was is I qualified for my first two World Age Group Champs on the last year of uni. And I'm very glad I pushed back Sandhurst by three months, effectively a term, um, to compete. And I was... You know, and I, I had the rhetoric in my head. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go and do this. Um, I'm going to enjoy it and, you know, I'll be better next year. Great. Well, next year and then the year after and then and the year after that, like the first year it was Sanders, right? Then the next year was, was special arm course. Then it was my close protection course. Then I was on operations. Uh, and very quickly, like five years have gone by and you're like, geez, I haven't done a triathlon. <laughs> uh, I was going to go better next year, you know. And it's, it's all just general fears, isn't it, mate? When you're in there, it's just general fears. People always drinking, all the rest of it. Diet isn't always particularly on point, and it's just that way of life, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? So yeah, it's it is, it is. And, and like you, you know, you think, well, actually, you know, what? I need to look after my career and, and what, what, what is like triathlon defines you to a point. Um, but now I'm Captain Willusher, right? So this is my who I am and what I do and. Um, and actually, if I don't apply myself to the training, there's quite serious consequences. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, it just takes a bit of a back seat. And then, basically, I left the army in 2007, I think How it was. Old you? How old were you then? Just so people get um, it. I would have been, uh, I'd do it by years, yeah, I would have been 26. Um, so, you know... It was, it was a weird experience actually because I then I then um, I went into banking because I had the opportunity to right and I was like yeah this sounds you know good idea it sounds um, shit to me my sort of grand plan I always believed in having a ten year plan um, and my original ten year plan had been I want to be in the military I want to get my majority become major um, and then you know, then look at what I want to do. And one of the things I wanted to do was potentially was to run like a leadership and development company, right? Uh, and with 10 years in the military, you're like, yeah, okay, that has uh, backing. And it's all that sort of outdoor pursuits, taking people uh, and, and stretching them. And I enjoyed that sort of coaching element because I, I coached like back in the 90s swimming, right? Um, I coached my way through uni as well in triathlon. So I, I enjoyed doing that, that sort of thing with people. And so that was my original 10-year plan, and then that changed. So then I was like, well, I'm going to join the city. I've got this military sort of career behind me. Um, okay. Uh, <coughs> well, what, still what really young. I, You're still really young at this point. Do you know what I mean? That's the whole thing. Well, that's it. I thought I'd do 10 years in the city uh, and, like, create a wicked contact book, basically, and then combine the two together and create my, create, create my leadership and development company. There we are. Still on the same path, but just a slight diversion. Um, where are you from originally within the country then? Did you live in like, where you sort of like around the Surrey area or where? No, no, I'm from Wiltshire. Um, um, like, I mean, I think there's about 80 people live in the hamlet. Uh, surrounded on three sides by fields, you know, I mean like, there's a, there's a, 
there's what well, there's better now that <clears throat> I believe, but there's one bus a week to go to market, and if you missed it, then you're stuck in town for a week. <laughs> um, but um, you know, it was uh, it's, it's it's pretty remote. But I look at it now, and I go, actually, and my parents made some good life decisions about you know how I was then able to be brought up in the environment that I was able to be brought up in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, so I, I joined the city because I, I basically I, I'd I'd just what do you do after the army? No one really knows who they are. You're like, well, I've got all these skills and like, but you tend to focus on your like, immediate skills, like your, um, your marksman with various different weapons. You're like, okay, well, yeah, well, mercenary, clearly. That's, that's the role for me um, because what else could I do, possibly do? And I did look at the private security market, particularly uh, being a close protection specialist because um, we were quite highly sought after, particularly in sort of, uh, 2007 like some American companies were paying silly money but they didn't have an Apache on five minutes notice um, <laughs> which is like why you were being paid silly money uh, and the risk of sort of turning up in an orange jumpsuit was high um, so um, you know uh, I, I, I said no to that in the end but you still don't really know what you know you, you've gone to Sanders and they say oh it's the it's a great management company and then you go and you go and manage 100 110 men and women and like, yeah brilliant okay what what does that mean like what what i don't even know what market sector to look at um and so i was pretty open to ideas and i got this opportunity to go into the city i was like well, okay let's crack on let's do it um the problem was i joined in 2007 and if uh, um we sort of cast our minds back that was basically the last massive recession uh, and i worked in uh, corporate loan origination um emerging acquisitions which again was a terrible time um and you know responsibility you you'd think that an army officer would probably understand that they were a people person right people were, were important so i'd even alluded to it like my 10-year plan had been to do leadership and development type you know goals and role, roles of people and so in hindsight it was a bad decision but <laughs> you know basically responsibility for people got switched out for responsibility with you know huge amounts of money in so much as you know, working on big merger acquisition deals, but it just didn't do it for me. Um, and and one of my best mate sort of texted me, just a run of the mill, how you doing? And I always remember this because it was like, it was a turning point. And I just said, look, man, I'm so bored I can hardly breathe. <laughs> and it was like, you know, that oppressive boredom where you, you can't, you're so bored, there's stuff to do, but you can't actually even get off the sofa. The thing right. is, though, the city life must have been amazing because obviously being an officer, Sanders, all the rest of it, you're all close to London anyway. But I mean, that kind of living in the city, the city life being young was obviously good. But the actual job, the monotony of it just had no excitement to it compared to what you was used to. And everyone knows yeah, yeah. when you're at uni, you think it's just good life too. Do you know what I mean? And then the military is a yeah. good life. And then that banking must have just been like squash you know yeah i think it was just like is is the lack of teamwork um like managers in the city they may have changed you know they're gonna have some like city manager phone you up now and say oi um but uh people are basically promoted to management positions based on how much they money they make right for the company which is brilliant apart from they've got no capacity to manage right just because they're great at making money like t- or structure in a deal in no way means that they can manage a person um, and, and that is the overall problem for me is I was looking at guys like in the military 
everybody stays behind to finish the job uh, and but in the same breath if, if the job's done you go home early right but the point is you work together and you utilize your team but people were doing like um crazy stuff like uh, they'd have two jackets for the same suit so it made it appear they put it on the back of the chair and make it appear like they were still in the office right? the <laughs> I, love that. I love yeah. that idea that is class yeah but it's just like if you can imagine that sort of work environment where people are trying to trick each other into you know how much time they were you know in the office for and then um i think the city doesn't really respect people's um work-life balance at all um this was back in the day of blackberries you know um and uh obviously various technologies since then but i had a habit of i would put my phone down <coughs> at eight o'clock which in theory was beyond my hours anyway um and i would look at it again um until eight o'clock or whatever the next morning which infuriated people like what do you, what do you? i was like well i know it says in my contract like eight to six and uh any hours that your manager dictates but i ain't playing basically mate um, it was so what's this and so your best mate had sends you a text and what happens from there then yeah. <coughs> that started a long chain of um <laughs> sort of life decisions and one thing i thought is like look um, I have been coaching for years, just not professionally. Uh, how about if I try and professionalise what I've been doing um, and just be paid for it? Brilliant. Something I'm passionate about. Um, the just, one thing that's... Just stop you there for a second. So when you were in the city banking or whatever, was you still just doing general fitness, like just going to the gym, yeah, doing yeah, swim, I mean, I, I, was, I was trying to get back into training. I was doing a bit of running. Um, I, I hadn't used a turbo, but I was using a spin, but I was just getting... The stuff so I would always done. You still had a know? base fitness, so you know you were still immersed in it. That's all I just wanted to say. Uh, yeah, to so I, I put on a, a hell of a lot of weight um, because well, the thing with boredom, what I do when I'm bored is I eat, and I put on 18 kilos. I think it was. Um, so there's a significant amount of weight. Hey, that is um, a lot of weight. Right, and then I entered a Fear Factor event. I London Marathon, uh, trained for five weeks in the way that I would have done like five, ten years previously. And lo and behold, got shin splints and joint trouble and all the rest of it. <laughs> and then, all, all the great stuff. Yeah, yeah. So like, I had five weeks of training, then missed five weeks training, and then did the London Marathon, which um, <coughs> was brilliant up to about mile 18, and then it wasn't. Um, but um, yeah, and, and the thing was, I just thought, well, look, if I can build this business um, in a recession, then if I'm still alive on the other side, then we're in a good place. Um, and it's one of those things isn't it is if you do what you love you tend to do all right at it so how did um, you find the people how did you find the people to create the travel on coaching business well I, I started started with just a few people i knew you wanted some and one of the things I, I did one of the quickest routes to insurance whilst i've been coaching for years um you need to be insured if you're going to do it professionally right you need to be insured frankly if you're doing it on an amateur basis these days um and um anyway so uh Various mates um, were, were interested, but my, my big thing was I did the PT course to get the insurance. So it meant that I could had a, a wider appeal um, as general PT rather than like very specific niche triathlons. Triathlon was, was biggish, but not anything like it is now. Um, and I put out I put out all sorts of ads. I, put, I, I learned from stuff like I put, I and mean, this wouldn't happen anymore. But I put like a two hundred pound two by one inch 
ad in the the metro i mean who the hell even reads the ads in the metro um you know what i mean but like 200 pound now on facebook you can hit forty thousand relevant people um you know but anyway you learn um and um yeah so uh i put out two free ads and they turns one in tesco's and one in sweaty bays they had a pin board in uh, the Tesco Metro and the Sweaty Bend. I did it in the right area, you know, sort of area that people are had a bit... Are you still doing what, a bit of work in the city whilst this is going on? No, 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 I was... The one thing that the city gave me, which uh, as much as I will say it wasn't for me, is they do a thing called a sign-on bonus. And I was like, I come out of the military, I didn't even know what a bonus was. You know, um, we actually know that's not fair. And, and I mean, <sighs> this is me being a bit of a knob, but, and I was enjoying... But anyway, I'll, I'll tell you the story. Basically, during 2008, all the recession and the crisis and all the rest of it, and you got people, um, city boys going, oh, you know, I've got this, I've got a bonus more than 200 grand or something. I'm not getting out of bed for that. And then I, I pipe up. Admittedly, this is a corporate event. So it's a little bit, I was still, still taking advantage of the corporate hospitality. Um, but I'd pipe up and go, look, boys, <laughs> we used to get a 2,000 pound bonus, which was still taxable. In the military, if you did 18 months out of a two-year period on operations, and you just go, ah, oh, shit, <laughs> just like kill the conversation. But the main thing it did for me is a sign-on bonus. It meant it gave me three months, and I actually managed to eke it out to five months' salary effectively when I left the city. Um, and it meant that I could build the business a little bit slowly. I was living with my partner at the time, which helped as well. So um, you immersed yourself in it. So when you're immersing yourself in it full time, it's only got one way to go, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, and also you're looking at um, the end of the road right? when your money runs out. You're like, well, I have to make it work before this happens, right? And I did start interviewing for other like project management roles and all sorts of things in that period because as you're getting closer to the point where your money runs out, you're just going, well, this is all well and good, but, you know. Um, Do you know, everyone's the same, isn't it? Like, some people might say, oh, look, I can live on a thousand pounds a week, I can live on 300 quid a week, whatever it is. In your head, you're thinking, oh, if it comes to the end of that and I haven't got this much to live on to cover this, this, and this, it yeah. ain't gonna happen for you. So, I totally get where you're coming from on that. Yeah, and also, like, rent in London is, is like oppressive, you know? Um, so, like, there's, 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 there's what you have to earn or how many hourly sessions you need to run. And that's the thing when I started, I did mostly one to one nearly all one-to-one -one. whereas now 97 percent of what we do is online um what i want to know is how did you get the elite how did you get to where you are now because somewhere within that story you must have started to pick up people people that were like world class people that were like national class whatever you want to you want well, to say what, it. What, we did, what we did is form the team the original team was uh one track on regional development squad before it became precision race team a couple of years ago and how that sort of came about was athletes that I started training, um, you know, people start getting better. And you go, well, look, I think you can, you could probably qualify for GBH group, right? Um, and as you go down the line, you do qualify them for GBH group. Um, and then that spreads and someone else thought, I want to qualify. And then maybe you get somebody who's already qualified but wants to get a bit better. Um, and so the team starts happening organically. And then people are like, big... hey, go and check Will out. He got me this far before I was only here, but now I'm up here type of thing. Right. Exactly. And then, you know, we had the London 2013 World Champs, um, which uh, I do the International Triathlon Union World Champs, and that really helped because it gave us a three-year goal. And I wanted to get more athletes from one single team to that World Championships than any other team in history. 
um, or certainly within British, British uh, team history. And um, we did. We got 19 athletes there. But that gave me a real focus. So I, every year I'd issue a document of what races people need to do, like probably holding their hand, you know. And, and one thing that was tough in the early years, and it still is to some point, is that, like, people need that extra push to get out of bed, right? Uh, like, you take them out on a, a ride in the, in the hills or wherever, and, oh, yeah, it's brilliant. And then next week, you're still having to, like, pull teeth to get them there. Um, and in the early years, I, I, was, I was emailing and calling people individually going, right, I'm going to see you tomorrow, right? I'm going to see you tomorrow. Uh, and you needed that just to get that two or three people turning up. And then that just starts building a bit of critical mass. And, and now we're in a happy position that we've got really good critical mass, so you're always going to have a decent team turning out. Um, but it Come becomes a space. How about the celebrities? Because we know you was Gordon Ramsay's triathlon coach, right? And he did quite a lot, didn't he? Over like, well, tell us, tell us some stats about him and how it, how it all came yeah, about. Gordon, Gordon did really well. I mean, Gordon is an interesting person to coach because um, you know that bloke is really used to hard work. Um, like one of the, one of the things that I think people underestimate self-made celebrities like Gordon is that to get to where he's at. The, the work, the sleepless nights and all the rest of it is extraordinary, okay? Um, with, with the greatest respect to, say, reality TV programmes of the likes of TOWIE or <coughs> the, the Chelsea, Made in Chelsea, um, these guys are just being picked out or having quite, no, not a lot of talent necessarily. Um, but, you know, to run your own restaurants, um, to get three Michelin stars, etc., you have to work hard. Um, the result is, coaching somebody like that, they already motivated. So you just turn up with a good session, you're going to get a decent result. Um, Gordon's biggest problem was, um, like, his travel. Oh, and, and still is. Like, well, not right now, but, um, you know, he, he is everywhere. Like, his diary could be booked out up to two years in advance. Um, that is so, crazy. <laughs> Two years in advance. Would yeah. you have to find him places? So when he was going other places around the world, would you have to find places for him to train, or other people for him to train? Uh, he's, he's, he's quite. He's quite good at that. He always, um, basically, his I think his, his, his uh, executive assistant would always make sure he was staying somewhere that had a decent gym. Um, you know, when he was home in LA, he, he didn't have a he doesn't have a, like um, Olympic size swimming pool, but he has one of those jets. You know that you swim against the current. And so it helps him be efficient with his time. The trouble is when he's filming, he's filming from super early to super late. And we did things like we had a watt bike in the studio. Um, and um, yeah, you know, he's pretty, he's pretty dedicated to it. And the thing is, with Gordon, he'll always said it, and he said it in other interviews, is it, it was his uh, release, you know? Um, it's the one time that you basically can't check your phone, right? When you're riding a bike in particular. Um, the running, he'd done a lot of running, a lot of marathons, done Comrades, London multiple times, etc. But you know, it, was, it was the cycling that you get to see such different landscapes because uh, you can travel over like proper distances. Mm -hmm. um, and I still think one of the best things we ever did actually was, was getting him ready for some big races one year. I said, right, the proving course we're going to do, we're going to go and ride, not the actual event, but we're going to go and ride the course of the Fred Witten up in the Lake District. Uh, but we're going to swim before we do that. We're going to swim like 3K before, and then we're going to do the 180 Fred Whitton. And um, it was just, I mean, we were bloody lucky. It's Lake District, and it was sunny and glorious all day. Yeah. Yeah, it could have been very different. Um, 
but it was exactly that. You know, we swam at dawn um, with the dawn chorus of all these cormorants out on Lake Windermere um, and the sun coming up over the, the mountains, a bit of mist over a glass type lake. Um, and then off we went on, on the bike and we had the, the sun setting on the Irish Sea behind us as we climbed hard knot, you know, or tried to. Um, but um, it was, it's, it's, to it's total escapism for him. Um, How long did you work with him for? Um, 2011 through quite recently, about seven, eight years. Yeah, that's a long time. And what were some major things that he did within that time frame that you'd look back upon and say, man, he did a shit hot job on that? Um, and what well, in terms of like training wise and so on, well, not just training, I mean, like, was there any massive races and you thought this is gonna be hit or miss? How is he gonna do in this? You know, because everyone yeah. thinks that about someone that they're helping, do you know what I mean? Yeah, you yeah, never know I mean, how it's think, gonna turn out. I think it was, it was the, the bike in particular where he'd come from a position in, in 2011 when we started working of I mean, could ride a bike, but that was about where it ended, you know. Um, and educating him on road bike and different positions and time trial positions and all the rest of it, and where he where he got to because you know he's a big guy, right? Um, he's just was he six two, um, which isn't crazy at all, but everything's like big feet, like big hands, strong um, shoulders, yeah, everything about him. Yeah, everything about him, and um, so you know he's never going to be a mountain goat, but. It was when we were, it was just before Kona, I can't remember what year it was, but anyway, we were riding down this, this flat section of road, 5k um, straight section, no roundabouts, no nothing. And I said, right, I'm going to put you on the front um, and just, I want you to hit it. And he did. And Jesus, I was chewing the handlebars, trying to hold on to his wheel. And, um, you know, I admitted that to him like a year later. He was cleaned up, I love it. Uh, yeah, but it was, it was just like <clears throat> he, the power that he developed was was brilliant, and you know he he, uh, he unfortunately had a he was so fit going into that that year at Kona, and um, you know there's all sorts of chat around should celebrities be allowed to do Kona and all the rest of it. Most people don't realise 25 percent of the field are gifted places, but you know that's an entire another podcast thing mm -hmm. um but um anyway the point was he, he was such good shape like he lost a ton of weight it's so really powerful on the bike and he just it was quite choppy he swallowed a load of seawater and it happened to another a number of the other pro, uh, a number of, uh, of pro athletes as well and he started throwing up in the water and you know i know you live on the coast you know what it's like um you know it's, it's like as soon as you take on too much salt water that's basically it He's throwing up throughout the swim, didn't take on any nutrition whatsoever on the bike, not through want of trying, and this is hydration as well. Mm. And because every time he did, within five minutes, he'd throw it back up again. And he got to the first mile of the run and just thought, you know, I'll just get through it. <coughs> but, you know, he then basically passed out, which is not a massive surprise. He's done a hard swim, 180k on a tough bike course with no food other than something that you had seven eight hours ago you know and the heat's tough though as well isn't it at that time yeah, of year, yeah, it? Exactly. the humidity is brutal but i mean you know silver lining is the fact that he was fit enough to get to that point before he passed out frankly um because a number of the pros that he you know didn't um they started going into gi distress and that was that um because you know he <laughs> he's quite bloody minded it's fair to say, you know, he's a very determined guy. So, 
he's just oh yeah I'll just push on I'll just get to the next mile or do the next mile but it was too much for him on that occasion um, and it's it a real shame because he deserved the result there he was so fitted put so much work in but um, you know that's, that's racing and that's in particular that's endurance racing um, Is there anyone never... else that you've had on besides Gordon that people would recognise out there? There's a couple of others I probably shouldn't disclose their names. But, um, <laughs> I love it. I know you yeah. disclosed Gordon because he was on your he was on your IG. Do you know what I mean? Like you had him there, personal hmm. triathlon case. Why not? I mean, it, it's good, isn't it? It's good for business. You know, it's going to draw more yeah, people yeah. and it's great it um, to listen to. No, it is. But then also in the same breath, um, it's important that you know people realise what the team is as well, and and that the um, the results of the team and the individuals are are beyond like a, a celebrity performance, if you like, because um, as impressive as Gordon was with his bike and the rest of it, um, he still had very limited time to train. So he did very well in the hours that he had to train, which was exceptionally limited. Like we had to be finished by 7am, had to be in the shower by 7am because if he wasn't, then he missed like three meetings, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I um, think that. Is, um, which is crazy. But, then like you get the other end of the spectrum. So we have some incredible age group athletes who are, are like podiuming around the world and so on. But one of my favorite ladies was um, a lady who had suffered with um, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome growing up. Um, and you know, really she had, well, she's done nothing, right? This is debilitating for anyone. <clears throat> so like an ME or not an MS as such, more like an ME, is it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, like it just destroys people they literally don't have the energy to get off off a seat you know um and anyway through various um methods she'd sort of conquered it with some 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 of it um alternative sort of therapy some of it sort of psychological bits and pieces and anyway she's done really well and um she came to me and said yeah i want to celebrate with an ironman it's like that's a bold decision uh, for somebody with, with your background but it, she gave herself a year, which is still a tight timeline um, for somebody who's had that background. But it was brilliant. We had really teach her to swim, teach her to bike, teach her to run. She'd just not done these things, right? Everyone takes them for granted. Um, but what was amazing was that, one, that she managed to, to, to do all these things. Um, we had a few ups and downs, as you'd expect. But um, I, I did Ironman Barcelona with her that year. And I was able to be there at the finish when, with her parents um, when she finished. And that was phenomenal, right? And it's actually those stories that there's the glitz and the glam, if you like, of, of celebrity, but those are more meaningful, you know? Um, did, she, did she carry on doing triathlon after that? You know, she's carried on doing various challenges, right? She's, she's a, a woman that likes um, to stretch herself. So, you know, she's she continued doing sort of triathlon, but she's doing all sorts of other various bits, challenges and, and, and so on. But it's, it's those, and the team, the, the thing that we're proudest of is our community, to be honest. Um, you know, I think it filled us a, a void for me when I left the military and had sort of negative experience in the city. Um, I had that positive experience of leading 100 men and women again. Um, not quite in the, in the, with the detail that you have in the, in the military, but um, within a, an area which, of which I'm passionate and they're passionate, right? So it's, 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 it's like a good situation. <laughs> um, hey, totally. You know? And um, yeah, so we, the, the camaraderie and the support in the team, like, like when you come back, we have various WhatsApp groups, as does everybody. But um, 
you know, you come back from a race and you know there's going to be uh, like 300 messages because people have been tracking you and care, right? And for what is quite a solitary sport, um, that's quite something. Yeah, um, mate, that is. You know, that, that, just that people, it's like when you have big ultras and people can track them, you know, and then they're watching your every move over like certain mountain passes or wherever they're going. It is. It's nice to think that someone's sitting at home with a cup of tea and they're that interested in you personally. It's just a nice feeling, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's, 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 it's motivating. And um, like Turkey last year, we did 70 points for Turkey and it's probably the best team race I've ever done. Um, we had, what, about 19 people racing and maybe another 10, 12 sort of come out supporting. Um, so it was a big team out. Um, but we were out there for three or four days and just the, it's just the right time of year. You know, it's the end of year, so it mattered, but it didn't matter. Um, but what mattered was the community experience. Um, and actually, well, you know, that's the one race I hope that we can do again this year if, if uh, restrictions lift because it's in November. Mm-hmm. But I'm not holding my breath. but look there's two things i want to ask you before we wrap this up and the first one is do you do retreats slash training camps for people and if you do where do you do them to yeah um so yeah we do do them um we uh, basically lanzarote or mallorca um the mallorca is a spring-based camp Uh, we didn't run that this year um because there's been a bit of a shift in the market it's a bit it's, it's a bit weird, but then it kind of makes sense with the, the target audience that we're going for um, and that we have within the team. So a lot of our guys will do five or six 70.3s or Ironmans a year as standard. Um, some will do more. Is that um, because it's their full-time job, like they're athletes and that's no, what they no, do? No, 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 they are just really into it. <laughs> um, they so do that full-time as well though, yeah? There's like a oh, yeah. Routine. yeah. Um, but um, the, the thing is, particularly for the age group who aren't being paid to do this, um, you with the, uh, the popularity of, of Ironman coming in, or Central in particular, um, over the last few years, people are uh, entering all their races in October <clears throat> the previous year and they're selling out, right? So if you don't do it, you won't get to race. Um, so the result is they've gone and dumped like six race entry fees in one month. This is pre Christmas, even, <laughs> right? And then you're trying to run a camp in May um it's like it's bad timing because you need to put the deposit down in october um <coughs> so with the team that we have we thought actually you know what we'd rather that they spend that money on a power meter um or that a race or whatever mm-hmm. because a lot of them are already training at a similar level to what they'd be doing on camp frankly um just without as much recovery in between so you kind of um, look at it now and you think what's more beneficial overall for the athletes and yeah, the general people totally. and then maybe going away for a camp isn't beneficial for them in reality because some of the races yeah. they're doing are abroad anyway. Is that kind of like the way you look exactly. at it? You know, and you've got to look at the, their bigger picture as well is they want to go to, uh, I don't know, somewhere in the US or Australia, Western Australia or something to go and race. And you're like, well, okay, um, is a camp a good use of your funds in order to do that because we're also looking about a relationship and a long-term goal uh and actually if people like, use all, all their triathlon funds in one year then it's it's not good for anybody really but what we did find is we run a lanza camp in january um which was a, a cheaper option because of the time of year um and it's actually a beautiful little camp um and so we well we'll, we'll see how this year goes in terms of covid but if we ignore covid for a minute we would 
I'll absolutely be running that camp again, um, January 21. Um, but we tend to really only do two camps. They're performance-based. Um, and camps as a business aren't a great business because they're a high-ticket item uh, and the profit margin is tiny. Um, but, mate, it's you know, the experience, isn't it? It is got to be the experience. It's got to be a nice experience yeah. to go and just do it. I mean, that's exactly. Why, that's, that's why, that's, that's why we places like that, they do well, don't they? Sorry, sorry, we're kind of just yeah. on But Club La Santa and all, uh, they do it because they're based there. They've got the place and they've got everything there. So they, they haven't got to go anywhere and they've got the weather. So people go there, whereas you're having to resource it, then get everybody there. And then you've got to find the places. It's not like you own the Club La yeah, Santa. No, exactly. The reason that the big value camp has for us is we do nearly all of our training online, right? Um, there is the big team hub in sort of London area, Southeast area. Um, and so a lot of those athletes will see each other, but not from all around the world. And it's an opportunity every year for these coaches, these people to actually physically get together. And like we're seeing a lot now, we're doing a lot of, lot of Zoom chats and whatever else. So we'll do the, the training online and then we'll do a big Zoom coffee and cake morning sort of thing mm. as we would out on a ride post-ride um so people can see their each other's faces but it's still not the same it's physically being in the same space as someone um you know and, and but being on camp has that benefit but the january camp is nice because we can focus a lot more on technique it's a lot less stressful we don't need to be like smashing people because we're not there to do that we're there to make sure they, they technically improve and that they get kick-started into the year um, it's nice though, isn't it? I mean, when you're dealing with people, it's nice to deal with them on a face-to-face -face basis, isn't it? There's not, yeah. do you know what I mean? Not everything's nice being virtual. Like, it's no, nice exactly. to have that contact, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, and like, um, we've been pretty busy uh, sort of developing new ways to work and so on. But because of that, we haven't been stopping to think as much, which has been really useful for our own sort of mental health, if you like. Um, but I suspect... Well, I don't suspect. I know <coughs> that a lot of people have been really struggling with this. Um, oh, you know, we we have the advantage of being the ones organising stuff, so it takes up time in our day, right? Um, whereas you're, you're the one waiting for something to be organised. There's a lot of hours twiddling your thumbs, worrying about stuff, watching the news too much, and you know, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough time for people. But my last question is. And you haven't yeah. got to go into much depth on this. It is, where is Will Usher Precision Coaching going? So what, what's the dream? Is it is it at the dream level, where you want it? Is everything how you want it? Or is we're, it stuff that you're yeah. looking for in the future? No, no, we're, we're, we're getting there. There's, two, there's, there's a secondary element to our business. So if we look at the Precision Race team itself and the Precision Coaching side, we want to continue developing what we've got. But we would also like to really push the um, high-end uh pro team end as well because we've got coaches who frankly um national federations would chew their arm off for um in the, in the likes of jenkins uh, and reese jones um these guys are so qualified um it's it, it's scary right they and they're on many advisory boards already for various national federations so what we want to do is like push and say look if you're really serious about getting to Cone and you're really serious about getting a podium sport you know we have that pathway so we really want to develop that pathway for people so we're not we're not sort of um a performance age group team we are like pros and age groupers coming together at that end but we really you know the core business is strong performing focused age groupers and um anybody who is serious about their goals i guess be that 
to complete a race or win it, right? Um, so we want to develop that side for precision coaching. And then we have a, uh, an e-commerce uh, angle as well, an affiliate e-commerce angle, which we're working on, um, which is effectively a site where, you know, affiliate marketing hasn't worked in the past because you, you say we're sponsored by Hoob, for example, um, and you go, oh yeah, maybe Hoob are a good wetsuit. And you click through the Hoob wetsuits and you go, okay, cool. I like the look of the Archimedes. I'll go and Google it and see where I can get it cheaper. And then, <laughs> right? Because that's what I would do, right? Uh, yeah, 100%. You know, I've just bought a new um, uh, running vest, uh, you know, hydration pack thing. And what did I do? I, I researched it great and then <laughs> Google shopped it. Where can I get it cheapest? Um, yeah. or but what we're to the do... local running shop or wherever they go and try it all on yeah yeah because they've got overheads and everything's a little more expensive they just go try it all on do all the testing go home and then order it online do you know what i mean and yeah that's what yeah, yeah which is which is super harsh particularly on uh, in the running market where let's you know there's not loads of like it's difficult to spend 15 grand on a piece of kit <laughs> you know what i mean like a, is in, in cycling or something um and so it's really harsh on those local businesses who put the time, the effort and the expertise in, frankly, and then get shafted. Um, but what we, what we're trying to do is, is create a site where we say, look, we've worked with brands for some of them for 20 years <coughs> and we're trying to remove Google. Um, you have your membership and then you click through, you get your discount applied at checkout. Right, right. Um, but um, the, the main thing is that uh, you know as well, that you will not get this cheaper anywhere else but you also know that you're not relying on some online forum that's advising you to get it in neon pink because it's the fastest um you know you're you're getting some proper solid advice you buy a wetsuit from this from through this link and it's going to do what it you want it to uh, and the customer service and journey will be will be the right one because you know triathlon particularly is just it's like another language right um, hey, I'm kind of glad I'm not involved in it. I've still got dreams yeah. that one day I'd like to do an Ironman. So maybe at some point yeah. in years to come, I'll be reaching to you, buddy. But yeah, yeah. I, I've just got no interest anymore in my little racing suit that's still hanging up somewhere, or my bike, <laughs> or my stuff, or my speedos, and my carbon pedals, and just like it's just yeah. so much stuff. Like, yeah, yeah it, it is. It, um, you know, and, and what well, we just want to like simplify that for people, really, because it's it's intimidating it's not that helpful particularly like people getting proper um snooty about you know i don't know some carbon calipers or something it's like well they got the right name. they got to be the right brand they got to be yeah, this, yeah. that and the yeah. other do you know what i mean and the one thing i would say generally about triathlon is that you have that end of the market which is can be frustrating but you or nearly always at a big try you'll still find somebody with like a, a mountain bike and a shopping basket on them you know hey, they're the best uh, people or, or you yeah. know and you see them smoking after the race i mean they're the kind of people <laughs> i want to sit with you know the one that's drinking yeah, yeah, yeah. having a flag because like they're normal yeah, yeah. They, they just love life but it's just it's, it's it's great and it's like um you know that that's what's great about triathlon it's, it's pretty inclusive on that respect but there is that end as you start trying to develop and trying to buy <clears throat> some a new group set or something you just go i literally got no idea and the likelihood of things like bike shops and things re remaining as they are into the future is, is probably slim. Pretty, it's going to be slim, mate. Yeah, it's, it's real slim. I mean, we the way we sort of see it is we expect 
um, bike shops to remove their floor space in so much as you don't need, you know, you don't have, need to have 50 bikes in stock and become servicing centers with bike fitting. Um, so you can still go there for expertise. Um, but when you do, you're effectively getting the expertise and paying for it with the, the either servicing mechanics or bike fit. Uh, and then, you know, you get your bike fitted and then they order it in for you. On a yeah, one totally. One. I can see that yeah. happening. So basically, yeah, the, the future for Will Usher is to have his precision team, more of an elite team going on that they can cater for easily by the sounds of it, and average Joes, which would be like myself if I approached you, and yeah. then also having an online market where people get all the discount they want, and it's easy to keep it all in one house so you don't get confused by training, nutrition, yeah. everything else, and what kit you've got to buy and have, yeah? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So look, dude, is there anything else before we wrap this up you want to say? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, mean, I spoke more than I imagined I would. Mate, uh, we can always come back and touch on more. But look, if people want to find you, they want to look up about you, just tell everyone out there where they can find you. Well, social I mean... media and all the rest of it. To be honest, like, social media is, is where we get most of our work these days. Um, and it's, it's uh, Instagram. It's will underscore usher underscore precision underscore coach. Um, and, uh, and, or just Google precision coaching, um, on, on, online, you know, um, and you'll be able to, you're able to get in touch. We also have a precision race team handle, which you can find through our individual coaches profiles. Um, all of our precision coaches have precision underscore coach behind them. So, uh, you'll be able to find the other coaches as well. Um, and yeah, just, just come and chat really. Um, we, we're doing, actually, we are doing some stuff at the moment, every other week on, on RGT for those that know what that is. Um, it's a I'm sure there will be. That means nothing to me, but there will be people <laughs> out there who will listen and watch you when it does. It's basically like Zwift. Um, it's an online cycling platform, and every other week we're doing an open ride. So you don't need to be a member of the team, you just come and ride. As long as you've got a power meter or a smart turbo, you just get involved and it's free. Um, and we're getting some decent success with that. So if you want to come on there, we also post up the uh, Discord channel chat so you can, people can chat away and ask people questions if they can breathe enough. Um, but um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's very friendly and we're just trying to sort of keep people together over this period. So come and get involved. Right, that's cool, man. Look, Will Usher, amazing triathlon coach, amazing triathlete himself. And look, I'll catch you later, dude. Yeah, man. Thanks very much.